The nail in the coffin! All right, welcome to the nail in the coffin. Thanks to a crazy final week of the Major League Baseball regular season that included a four-game sweep of the White Sox and multiple late-inning comebacks, the Indians have ended up as the number four seed in the American League postseason, and their reward for that is going to be a first-round series at home against the Yankees that begins on Tuesday night. And to help get us ready for that, on the line from waiting for next year, our pal Mitchell Crawl. Mitch, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm good. I'm good, man. You know, we're going to get into the particulars as we go along here, but on the surface, is this a good matchup or a bad matchup for the tribe? Well, I think it's as good as any. The truth of the matter is, is in a three-game playoff, it's, it's really about who's hot, which way the ball bounces at the right time. But, uh, you know, I feel pretty confident. I feel pretty optimistic that this is a solid matchup for the Indians. This is as scary as the name Yankees is. Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about this, and it, it's kind of weird. You know, we've got this new postseason format, and, you know, originally I was thinking, okay, had this been a normal year, four versus five, um, this is a one-game winner-take-all. But instead, um, now we've got a best of three. But then I, like, caught myself, I'm like, well, wait a minute if this was four versus five and there was only five teams making it in the AL, the Yankees wouldn't even be in right now because the White Sox actually finished with a better record. But you know, the way major league baseball set this up, um, you know, we've got this strange format where like the division winners in each league, get the seeds one through three, the second place teams are four through six. And then the seven and eight seeds are the best third place teams. So, um, you know, all that said, here we are. Um, and the other weird thing with this, you know, no travel days and no off days during these series. Is that going to help the Indians or hurt the Indians? Or is it kind of a non-factor in your mind? Well, it's certainly a factor in the way they're going to go about these games, but I'm not sure that it particularly helps or hurts them. There's a team with a deep bullpen with a deep rotation. Uh, so if anything, it might help them a little bit compared to the Yankees who you know, they still have that strong back end of the bullpen with Chapman and, and Britton and Ottavino, uh, but they're not quite as deep as we've seen in years past. So if anything, I could see it helping the Indians a little bit, at least in this first, you know, it remains to be seen if the Indians sweep or, you know, let's say the Indians sweep, then you do get a day off, uh, you know, while we're waiting for the rest of the, the season, the series to start. So, you know, We'll see how it goes long-term, but short-term with this Yankee series, I feel like it's slightly net positive, but mostly a neutral. Already plotting ahead to an Indian sweep here. I like where your head's at. Um, <laughs> well, I knocked on wood. I knocked on wood, Tom. There you go. All right, so let, let's talk about the pitching situation for the Indians. Uh, Shane Bieber, uh, by all accounts, I think uh, runaway leader in the clubhouse for the uh, AL Cy Young, and I believe we're going to see Carlos Carrasco in Game 2 and Zach Plesak in game three, uh, if necessary. Uh, if you were running the club, is this how you would be structuring the rotation for the series? Yeah, that's probably how I would do it. Uh, I mean, there's no question Bieber's number one. He gives you as good of a chance to win as any player in Major League Baseball does. 
uh, starting on the Hill. Number two and three, I, I know there's some police act fans out there. I am one of them. Uh, I think you have to give the edge to the guy who has been at this stage before, uh, especially, you know, a guy who maybe started out weak this year, but has really come on strong. And I think is probably still the second best pitcher in this rotation until proven otherwise. Uh, but Plesak undoubtedly deserves this third spot. He's been the probably the second best pitcher for the Indians this entire year when he was playing. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can go wrong. I, I'm very curious to see now if they could use Plesak, you know, for an inning on, on in game one. I, that's something that I've been thinking about. And I'm leaning towards no, but that'd be really interesting as well. I think it would be like his normal bullpen day or close to it. So that could be pretty interesting to, to keep an eye out on. Now, the Yankees are going to counter in game one with Garrett Cole. But, I mean, if you're the Indians, you got to be looking at this like we can't lose the, the game if Shane Bieber starts, right? Yeah, that's right. And this is what this – I think, you know, it's never as, as simple as people make it out to be when what's the X factor of this matchup or the series. But, you know, I think if there is such a thing, if such a thing were to exist, it would be looking at the Yankees starting pitching versus the Indians offense. Those are the two inconsistent uh, groups in this series. I, you know the Yankees can hit, at least at home. We'll see how they hit on the road. And you know they have a solid bullpen. So the question is, how is their rotation going to match up with the Indians' offense? Um, yeah, you got you got to try and jump out on Cole early because, like I mentioned, you get late in those games. Even if Bieber gives up a run or two with that bullpen, got to got to stick with him. We're going to get into the Indians' lineup here in a couple minutes, but before then, uh, I want to ask you. You know, one starter who we did not mention as having a spot in this rotation for the wild card round, Aaron Savali, you know, after the first month of the season, I would have assumed he was going to be a lock to start a playoff game, but he really struggled down the stretch. Uh, Saturday night uh, got roughed up by the pirates. Uh, that's not good. Um, what, what happened to him? Is it a location issue? Is it velocity? What What's going on? No. So, so basically what's happening with Aaron Savale is he is a guy who relies a lot on generating soft contact. Thanks to his command, thanks to his stuff. He has six pitches and his breaking stuff has really good spin on it. Um, so he's good at inducing this weak contact, but that is much more streaky than a guy who gets a lot of whiffs, a lot of swings and misses like a Bieber or like a Carrasco or even like a Plesak. So what happens is if, if you're missing your location even a little bit, if you're not getting those early count strikes, uh, a guy like Savale is more prone to giving up uh, hard contact than, than other players in the Indian rotation. And you see that with guys like Keuchel around the league. Uh, these guys who are contact specialists really have to walk the tightrope, especially as hitters have gotten better at putting the ball in the air and hitting for power. Um, so th I think that's what's happening with Savale. He's he's missing fewer bats and he's just giving up more hard contact. I think it's something that is not a concern long term, but hopefully, um, you know, he he'll be useful out of the bullpen and maybe a one or two inning relief role in the playoffs. Yeah, let's talk about the bullpen. How do you expect the bullpen to be used? You know, in, in such a short series, there's not really a lot of breathing room. Do you uh, expect a quick leash? For the starters here, um, how is this going to play out in your mind? Well, that's a good question. Um, Sandy Sandy Alomar, uh, beloved beloved amongst the fan base, has uh, you know he hasn't made any 
he hasn't he hasn't shown any any evidence that he has a quick leash. I think if anything, the evidence points to maybe he leaves these guys in a little too long, and it remains to be seen how he will handle that in the playoffs. I think there was a game against Chicago. I I, I don't remember where where Shane Bieber went into the eighth inning, and he he was clearly struggling. Excuse me, and Almar left him in a little bit too long gave up the three-run homer. I think everyone sitting on the couch was wondering, why is this guy still in the game? Um, and I think there have been a handful of those occasions. Um, it's hard to know. It's hard to know for a rookie playoff manager. He will have Terry Francona's expertise. Uh, I know Terry's been talking to the team daily. So hopefully he can learn from, from 2016. And the Indians have some good pieces out of the bullpen, even more so than the regular season. So he's definitely got a full tool belt out there, and he just has to use it. How do you feel about the job he's done managing the team this year? I mean, he's clearly, uh, you know, been in the managing spot for uh, the majority of the season. Uh, you know, uh, Terry Francona had his uh, health issues kind of creep up on him pretty early in this season and uh, not normal circumstances. I mean, nothing about this year is normal, um, but especially, uh, you know, Sandy, this is his first real shot to, to be managing. I think, you know, what did he have like a couple games when Manny Acta stepped down years ago? Um, but, you know, in terms of like an actual extended uh, shot at the, you know, taking the reins, um, what do you make of the job he's done this year? Well, I'll be honest with you, Tom. I have a hard time evaluating managers. Um, I am of the opinion that, for the most part, in-game in-game decisions are hard to to question. I mean, we have these examples of we're sitting here on the couch watching watching Bieber stay in too long, and we're all screaming at the TV that he should come out. But if it works, then who who are we to complain or judge? I think the differences between on-field decisions whether or not to to steal here or there whether or not to keep this pitcher in for an extra batter they kind of come out in the wash a little bit now i think where managers really really matter is in the clubhouse and that's really hard to say i know sandy alomar is a beloved member but he is a rookie in an overwhelming season um so i think it's hard to say oh he's been terrible we need to throw him away or he's completely useless as a manager but I'm not sure that the team is playing with the same looseness that we normally see. I mean, we haven't seen guys like uh, Lindor uh, or Santana, who are usually big goofballs, uh, doing all that much smiling and doing all that much goofing around. And I think that maybe speaks something to, to the, the attitude in the clubhouse right now. It's also a stressful season. And like you said, nothing is normal about this year. So I think it is nearly impossible to judge how he's done. Would I have done some certain certain things on the field differently than he he has? Yeah, I would have. But it's hard to say how much that matters compared to clubhouse culture and that kind of thing. All right. A couple more questions on the uh, the bullpen. You know, Brad Hand kind of struggled down the stretch last year. Uh, had a couple of bumpy outings at the beginning of this season. But uh, I think by the end of the year, seemed to be in a much better place. What's gotten him pointed back in the right direction, and how good do you feel about him uh, pitching the ninth inning in this series? Well, for for Hand, it's all about command, right? Last season, he was falling behind batters. He was uh, w- he was walking guys, at, you know, at close to a career high level, and he was also giving up hard contact. And as he has started to find the plate more this season, the rest has kind of followed, and you'll see it in his numbers. He's got a 
he's striking out over a third of the batters he faces, which is, you know, about in line with what he has always done as a reliever, but his walks are at a career low level, actually, which is really great. And he's just not giving up the hard contact either. It's really about attacking the zone for him and living on the corners because he doesn't have the raw velocity that you need to be able to blow guys away. He's all about making you look at that curveball on the outside or the slider rather on the outside corner, making you chase it below the zone and having you look at darts on the outside corner and fastballs. And he's been doing it. He's been excellent. So James Karinchak, are are we expecting him to take the mound in some Ricky Vaughn glasses uh, in this series? I mean, he's got the number. Uh, I, I noticed over the weekend he's got the haircut now. Uh, he has fully embraced the uh, the wild thing personality. In, in all seriousness, though, he's been a, a real weapon this year, and I feel like as good as advertised. Oh, definitely. I was listening to a great uh, baseball podcast uh, over at uh, hosted by Fangraphs, effectively wild, and they had former Indians farmhand David Spear uh, on on the on the pod, and he. He's a smart guy into the analytics out of Columbia, and he's pitched with all these young uh, Indians pitchers, guys like Bieber, guys like uh, Stavale, and guys like Karen Jack. And what he was saying about Karen Jack is this is Karen Jack toned down. He looks scared out there is what Spear said, like compared to how he was in the minor leagues. So to your point, yes, I think he is going full wild thing. If this is him toned down, I want to see him not toned down. Um <laughs> But to your point, he has been an absolute weapon out of the bullpen. He has been as good as advertised, if not better. I don't think we could have possibly expected this from him, even with the insane numbers he put up in the minor leagues last year. Um, the command has been better than advertised, although a little shaky lately. It's really a matter of for him tunneling that fastball with the curveball. They look very similar, very late in the uh, in the pitch, in like the yeah, in the pitch. So hitters have very little time to decide. So if he's locating both of those pitches well, he's virtually unhittable. That breaking ball he throws when it's working is absolutely filthy. Oh, it is filthy. It looks, it really does look like a fastball. It looks straight. And then it drops not just off the table, but it has horizontal movement too. It is, it is really a nut. It is really a nuts uh, pitch. Hard, it, it's hard to believe anyone can touch it. Let's talk about the lineup. Uh, do the Indians have enough offensive firepower here? I mean, obviously, Jose Ramirez has been unconscious down the stretch. I think Cesar Hernandez has been a pretty great pickup this year. Fran Miel had a, a nice little hot streak midway through the year. Um, but the bottom of the order, oh, oh boy. <laughs> Cover your eyes and hope for the best. Yeah, no, that's right. I, to the question of do the Indians have a good offense is a different question than do the Indians have enough offense to win this? Because um, the answer to the first question is no, their offense is not very good. Um, however, it's not close to the league worst offense. It's not the worst offense in the playoffs. That uh, dishonor belongs to the Cincinnati Reds down I-71. Um <laughs> But no, no, I, I, I do think the Indians have enough offense to win it. It's just a matter of will everything go right? Because it, it, you can't have guys having uh, weeks off or having lots of guys having weeks off. It's not like the Dodgers where, hey, if Justin Turner doesn't hit, you know, they've got Mookie Betts. And if Mookie Betts doesn't hit, then they've got Cody Bellinger and, and, and they've Corey Seager. And, you know, we don't have that many impact guys. The Indians don't. 
uh, in that in that lineup. So it's really a matter of Ramirez has to hit, Lindor has to hit, Santana has to hit, and maybe you get lucky about a guy or two in the bottom of the lineup. Think Roberto Perez in 2016, just catching fire at the right time. These kind of things happen all the time in the playoffs, and that's why I'm not discouraged about the offense to the extent that I don't think they can win it. However, it is something to keep an eye on, especially against these uh, Yankee starting pitchers. Francisco Lindor, I, you mentioned him earlier, and I want to be careful about how I ask this question because I don't want it to seem like I'm knocking the guy. But at the same time, is it just me or has he gotten thrown out on the bases and had just some other really strange plays this year? Just strange moments, just things that seem almost out of character. Like, I don't feel like we're getting the full Frankie Lindor experience this year at times. Yeah. I mean, so offensively, he is definitely having a down season. Uh, you mentioned the base running. He has been worth negative two runs on the base pass this year, according to fan graphs, which is about a quarter of a win down the drain, uh, just based on his base running alone. Not what you want to see out of your star shortstop. A uh, guy who has in the past been a really good base runner and a really good hitter. Um, it's hard to say. I, I, I agree that it, it hasn't looked exactly like Lindor. And I question, you know, this is a guy who is with a lot of flair, who likes to enjoy himself, likes to entertain. The question how, how much is playing without a crowd affecting him, I think, is a real question. Um, I think Cubs fans can tell you the same with Javi Baez having an awful season. Um, another guy who plays with a lot of flair. So it's, it's really hard to say, and I don't know that we'll ever know the full answer to the question. I do wonder what impact it has on the Indians trading him, what the return they get for him in the offseason is. If you ask me, and I would have told you this last year too, I think the Indians just let him play out his contract. I mean, this is a good team. And maybe in front of fans next year, he, he improves himself. If the team's not doing well, they could trade him at the trade, the trade deadline. But there's a team that's trying to win this year and next year and beyond. So I think you hold on to Lindor as long as you possibly can. I know I skirted around your question a little bit there. Um, <laughs> but no, you're right. His base, running question, his base running decisions have been questionable this year. There's no doubt about it. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um Anybody else you're looking at offensively uh, who might be a, a, a surprising piece or, or somebody we could be talking about, uh, you know, a few days from now is, is being the difference maker here? Well, I think one interesting aspect of this Indians team is their ability to see pitches, to work pitchers. Um, I think I don't know if it's any one guy we're going to be talking about, but it, 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 no matter who you're talking about, from the top of the order and in, in Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez and Carlos Santana to even the bottom of the order with a guy like Roberto Perez or even, excuse me, Delano De Shields, all these guys work the count. All these guys make pitchers throw pitches. I think that's something that maybe is a little unheralded going into this season that doesn't really show up in the stat line. But if we can get Garrett Cole out of the game uh, after five innings and scoring just a couple of runs, you don't you have an opportunity to face that soft underbelly of the Yankees bullpen, and I think that's something that 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 we should keep an eye out on. All right, give us a crash course on the Yankees here. Obviously, a lot of big names 
um, you know, which almost seems to happen by default. If you're putting on pinstripes, uh, if you're not a big name going in there, you become one. And uh, they certainly have the budget to bring in uh, other guys as well. Uh, what do we need to know about this team and uh, how they stack up against the Indians? Yeah, so the names that you likely are thinking about, the names that you likely know, um, are John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. Those are the those are the big names, right? Those are the big boppers on this team. But actually, both those guys have been injured for much of the year and are coming into these playoffs with uh, in relative cold streaks, along with Glybor Torres. So they're three maybe best hitters or best players coming into the season. Uh, none of them are maybe performing at top level. I think the guys. Oh, and Gary Sanchez, too. Gary Sanchez has been about 30% below at the league average offensively this year. He's been swinging and missing like crazy. Uh, you're not super worried about Sanchez this year. Their big, their big hitter this year, their best player, is uh, their second baseman, DJ LeMayhew. And it's really fascinating. His, his performance is so much better on the road than it is at home. He's slugging 813 – sorry, backwards. 813 at home. 374 on the road. Um, he's an opposite field line drive hitter, so you expect him to hit balls over that right field porch in, in, in uh, Yankee Stadium. And progressive field does have the short porch out there. It's not as short as the Yankees. But that's something that I am personally looking out for is, is how are they going to attack DJ LeMahieu? He's a really hard, hard guy to get out. Doesn't strike out a lot. Just line drives everywhere. Uh, their other big hitter this year is the home run leader in the American League. It's Luke Voigt. And Luke Voigt, his approach is a lot more – I hesitate to say Jose Ramirez-esque because Jose Ramirez is the better pure hitter. But he is looking for pitches on the in, inner third of the plate or over the middle to drive into the pull side into the air. That's what he does. I think the Indians match up well with guys like that and guys like Judge and guys like Stanton who are just looking for mistakes because the Indians pitchers have the ability to put the ball wherever they want. So it's the guys like LeMahieu, like Giovanni Urshela, who struck out under 15% of the time this year. Um, guys like Aaron Hicks, who strikes out, strikes out below the league average. Those are the guys I think the Indians have to look out for. It's weird knowing that Giovanni Urshela is uh, you know, a regular contributor for them. I was looking back uh, earlier today at some of the highlights from, I, I think it was the 2017 series that these two teams played and, uh, game three was the real pivotal one in, in that series. And Urshela was playing for the Indians, and I don't think he had a particularly great series. But um, a lot of great moments between these two franchises in the postseason over the last 25 years or so. Um, you just go through it. Like 97, Sandy Alomar uh, homers off of Mar Mariano Rivera in the, I think, the eighth inning um, when the Indians were trailing in that series, they were on the verge of being eliminated. He ties the game. You know, Paul O'Neill throws a temper tantrum on the uh, right field warning track. Uh, the Indians come back and win that series in five. Um, the Yankees won the ALCS uh, in six games over the Indians in 98. Um, probably the least interesting, I would say, uh, of any of the matchups between these teams. But even that one, that was a year that the Yankees had won 114 games and the Indians were the only ones to beat them in the postseason. Um, you know, that, that was one of the all-time great teams in baseball. Uh, obviously, 2007, we had the, the Midges, and I think I saw Zach Meisel was even talking about the Midges were back this week. So if that wasn't an omen uh, for another uh, Indians-Yankees series, I don't know what is. And then, uh, you know, you get back to uh, 2017 there, that game three, Aaron Judge robbing Frankie Lindor of a home run. Um, 
that was a scoreless game late. Uh, Yankees pull that out and they end up uh, coming back and uh, they were down 2-0 in that series. Um, so, you know, never boring when these teams play. I, I'm pretty fired up for this. No, it should be fun. I don't know if you remember that game two in the 2017 World or in the ALDS when uh, the the Indians were behind and Lindor tied it up or took the lead with a grand slam off the foul pole. But yeah. it only happened after Lonnie Chisinau got caught with a hit by pitch. Replay showed it clearly hit his bat. Joe Girardi did not challenge it. Ended up probably getting fired because of that decision. Uh, so really momentous stuff happens when the Indians and the Yankees play in the World Series. There's no doubt about in the playoffs, rather, no doubt about it. I, I forgot that Chisholm Hall tidbit, but I definitely remember uh, the Lindor Grand Slam in that game too. I, I can even remember uh, the bar I was watching that game in and um, how much my back was killing me because of how long that game went <laughs> sitting on a bar stool for that long, but uh, it, it was worth it. Um, well, there we go. Uh, anything else about uh, this, uh, this best of three here that uh, you wanted to throw out there that we haven't gotten to yet? Yeah, I just have some numbers here on uh, the Yankees as a team. They're uh, at home. They're 46% above league average offensively and have an, about a quarter of their fly balls leave the yard on the road this year. 14% below the league average, only 12 or so percent of their fly balls leave the yard. So they are, or at least they have been, a completely different team on the road than they have been at home. How much does that matter in three games? Who's to say? Probably not very much. But it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, if if these Yankees don't hit like their overall numbers say they should, this could be a good series for the Indians. They, uh, they have any noisy trash cans down the hall there at Yankee Stadium? What's going on over there? Good question. Good question. <laughs> nah, I think it's just guys are designed. They, they acquire guys who can hit just these low-line drives down the right field line. That's really what it is. That makes sense. Build your team around your uh, the park where you're going to play half your games. So, especially an extreme one like right, this. Right, right. Well, bitch. Um, first time we've had you on here. Uh, great stuff. I hope we can do it again sometime. Thanks, man. I'd love to. I'd love to. This was a lot of fun. All right. Uh, as a reminder, you could subscribe to the Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. And uh, you can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. And uh, I believe uh, good old WFNY's got a, a good roundtable going up uh, on Tuesday morning. So that should be up on the site um, previewing uh, this series as well. Mitch, you were in on that too, right? Yeah, I was. All right, good. I tried yeah, to do those. Yeah, you can uh, go get some more uh, insights from uh, Mitch and the rest of the uh, Waiting for Next Year crew over there. Uh, we'll uh, we'll try to get a link up to that as well. Uh, our thanks again to Mitch Craw for joining us. Uh, that's going to do it for us. It's been the nail in the coffin. We'll talk to you again soon. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.